Welcome to episode 38 of the Under Further Review podcast with Burke and Jen. I'm Burke. I'm Jen. Um, And we have a lot of NFL talk this week, um, which is kind of funny since we don't do a lot of NFL watching anymore. (laughs) (laughs) As we discussed at lunch today, we've been going back and forth on this and what we are supposed to be doing in terms of watching or not watching the NFL. I know since the racists co-opted the boycott, I don't know what to do now, uh, but I feel like no one is harmed by my boycotting. I'm just know that I am not boycotting because I'm a racist person who has a problem with the anthem protests. Anyway. Yes. So long as you know the rationale behind your boycott, I think that's fine. Um, I shouldn't have even call it the anthem protests. The protests that take place during the anthem against um, systemic racism in our country. And other social injustice. Speaking of which, our first topic <laughs> for today is um, Colin Kaepernick has filed a lawsuit um, against the, uh, I guess, the NFL owners i'm not sure who the is it the league and the owners yeah it's the league and to all 32 teams comprising the league um asserting that the owners have colluded to keep him out of the league um Mm -hmm. he's represented by uh, mark garagos who i know we've talked about but i can't remember with respect to what case earlier in this podcast um but he's a pretty famous attorney i think he's you know he represented scott peterson who was convicted of murdering his wife and unborn child um i want to say he worked with michael jackson I'm having deja vu about looking him up on Wikipedia yeah, while no, recording we podcasts. We literally did this not that many <laughs> podcasts ago. He represented uh, Winona Ryder in her, I think, her shoplifting oh, case. Right. Uh, Scott Peterson, as you mentioned, um, he did uh, represent the two Diwali brothers, Diwali brothers, who d- uh, were injured in that tiger escape from the San Francisco Zoo. Um, Chris Brown, the uh, yes, the rapper. I have a friend named Chris Brown, and it's just always weird when I say my friend Chris Brown because I need to then clarify that I'm not talking no. about the um, the person who abuses women, Chris Brown, um, and Gary Condit, Susan McDougal. So yes, this was this was pretty recent. Susan McDougal, the one who. No, I'm thinking of Susan Smith who drowned her oh, kids in the yeah, car no, in South Carolina. A, a different person. Um, and I should clarify, they didn't actually file a lawsuit. They yeah. just, um, sorry, uh, come to a legal podcast to listen to me screw up legal terms. Um, <laughs> they've demanded arbitration under Article 15 of the um, collective bargaining agreement between the NFL and the NFLPA, which um, for an agreement that does not cover individual player contracts um which i would think make up a pretty significant part of the um compensation that folks get it's an awfully long document um so the arbitration demand has been submitted um i've read just sort of anecdotally that the nflpa is throwing all of its weight behind kaepernick's Mm -hmm. case here um which i guess is not always what they they choose to do um which he's got clearly has a talented lawyer questionable (laughs) prior clients um Um, but to have that kind of firepower behind him as well is helpful i'm sure yeah and it's actually interesting so normally um because this is a demand for arbitration and it is alleging a violation of article 17 the anti-collusion provision of the collective bargaining agreement you would file a grievance probably through the nflpa but in this case colin kaepernick engaged his own like personal attorney um in this demand for arbitration and i think i read an article that said that the nflpa wasn't made aware that he was going to do this until basically this 
a demand for arbitration was served on all 32 teams, the huh. league and the NFLPA, just as a courtesy copy. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so per the Article 15 that Burke alluded to, the system arbitrator, there has been an individual who serves in this role as a system arbitrator. His name is Stephen Burbank, and he is a... Um, he has a very long and distinguished history in in like the legal field, um, and he is going to basically preside over this arbitration. And what essentially happens is that you know this demand for arbitration is made, and then there is a the time for the parties to engage in discovery. And in the demand for arbitration, uh, Mark Garagos does like ask the NFL to preserve all evidence and documents and correspondence related to um, anything that is reasonably can reasonably lead to discoverable information related and to this case. As we know, at least the NFL's executive office has trouble maintaining evidence, <laughs> um, which worked to the benefit of the Patriots. I will I will acknowledge that when they destroyed all those tapes from. Spygate, uh, but yeah, I mean, it seems like a smart thing to do since mm -hmm. they're kind of notorious for getting rid of things that aren't helpful to them. Um, and then, so once there is this period of discovery, then the um, the special master, which is what Stephen Burbank is called, uh, I think he's scheduled to have some sort of like pre-arbitration uh, discussion with the parties to maybe like lay out some of the ground rules. Um, arbitration is. It's helpful in a lot of ways because you can sort of make up your own rules as you go along, but it's not helpful in that way because you can make up your own rules as you go along. Yeah. There are um, there are bodies like the American Arbitration Association, AAA, that has sort of um, some loose guidelines as to how arbitration generally works. Um, but it is kind of like we call it in our office um, the Wild West of litigation because you just never know like what's going to happen. Right. And um, it would seem that the, I mean, it's very clear from Article 17 of the contract that the club, or sorry, that the clubs of the NFL are not permitted to enter into any agreement, either express or implied, um, to negotiate or not negotiate with a player. And mm -hmm. that would certainly seem to, I mean, assuming they can prove that this was a like kind of joint effort, um, amongst the teams to blackball Colin, uh, Colin Kaepernick, for lack of a better term, um, certainly seems to fall into the prohibition in Section 1A, Romanet 1. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, I think the um, I think the difficult part is trying to prove that there was an either explicit or implicit agreement amongst teams. And I don't know, does it have to be just more than two? Or does it have to be like a majority of the teams to trigger the collusion? Um, it, based on the, if you interpret the contract language as it seems to be clearly written, um, it says no club or may enter into an agreement with the NFL or any other club. So, so it seems to be, it needs to be just two, two. parties. Um, so yeah, I mean like the 49ers might, ha might fall out since they uh, were allegedly planning on cutting him if he hadn't mm -hmm. um, opted out of his contract and so they wouldn't need to be involved in this grand conspiracy. Um, but I think to your point, it doesn't have to be a grand conspiracy yeah. if he can prove that two, two clubs yeah, or two um, groups or the NFL and any of the clubs um, were working together to not um, 
ensure that he doesn't get signed, Mm -hmm. that would be enough to trigger the prohibited conduct section of the anti-collusion article. So in the anti-collusion article, I think it's pretty interesting in that it does lay out what, uh, how to calculate damages as a result if collusion is found. So it's either, it's, um, it, I mean, it's just pretty interesting. You can get up to, I think like trouble damages Mm -hmm. of, um, three times the amount of compensatory damages in the events that uh, any of the clubs have been found to have violated this article, um, and the damages are basically related to like the value of a contract that the player would have been able to sign. Um, but there is also uh, you can also get uh, non-compensatory non-compensatory damages as well, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and if they silence during a podcast is probably not great but we're just reading right yeah. now. <laughs> um i was about to say if if a club so i don't know that any club has ever been found liable for collusion um at least recently um but if they have been found liable for a third time at least mm-hmm. a third time they can um, be hit with a five million dollar fine which seems, I suppose that's actually not a lot of money to these people, but that seems like a big number. I think it's a big number for most normal people, but I don't think it's a big number for, like, an NFL team that's, you know, valued in the billions. Um, So certainly not for someone like Jerry Jones. Um, You know, and the article, in Article 17 also lays out, um, you know, what effect the compensatory damages would have on a team's cap and, um, and things like that. So, I mean, it's a pretty... It's a pretty detailed uh, section. Actually, all these sections are really detailed, which is kind of the problem in a 356-page agreement when it doesn't even co- cover individual player contracts. But um, I, So Mark Garagos was on, I think, CNN earlier today predicting mm-hmm. that there would be a smoking gun. I mean, these guys don't think they're ever going to get caught. It would not also, no offense, I don't mean to be ageist, but based on experience with the NHL, um, older people don't seem to always realize that, like, you send an email out and it exists forever, and other folks can read it. Um, The NHL controversy I'm referring to is Colin Campbell, who used to be the head of player safety for the NHL, sent out, like, a series of emails to people telling them they shouldn't penalize his son, um, who played in the NHL for a while. She might still be playing. um, Mm -hmm. Gregory Campbell that they should punish more heavily people who hit his son, making disparaging comments about those folks. Um, and literally his defense was, well, I didn't realize like these could be printed and other people could see them. Um, and he's not even that old. So I guess I shouldn't paint all people in their like fifties and older with such a broad brush. But, um, if that's where Garagos's head is at, it would not surprise me if these people sent emails out and then were like, Oh shit they can get discovered what is this exactly and it doesn't even have to be as explicit as like this is the way you should treat Colin Kaepernick I mean someone could just as easily say to someone else on a different team oh he's a bad look for the NFL I mean something as the optics are bad Yeah, exactly something (laughs) as seemingly innocent as that actually would spell you know would be evidence towards collusion and I was wondering like because I know a lot of these teams have a lot of personnel that used to play with you know people who now work for different clubs just because the fraternity and I do mean fraternity is a very it's a very small one 
So, like, what if you are talking to your friend who happens to be, like, you know, someone on a different team, but you're wearing your friend hat and not your I'm a representative of a team hat talking about Colin Kaepernick? And, like, yeah, you should use your own personal email for that or, you know, maybe your own personal cell phone as opposed to the one that's issued to you by work. But at the same time, like, can you really separate those out? Right. I guess... Probably if it's just, like, players talking amongst themselves, because this the anti-collusion provision does say the club, a club, its employees, or agents. Um, now, players are employees of the mm-hmm. club, so, you know, if there were players who were talking amongst themselves, I don't know that that conversation could be then imputed back to the club for collusion purposes, because I don't the players don't have any, like, decision-making authority as mm-hmm. to who signs and who doesn't. But maybe. But maybe, um, if, especially if they have influence, right? I mean, right. if they're saying that he's going to be a, a quote-unquote distraction in the locker room, or if you have Ray Lewis saying, no, you can't hire him because his girlfriend or fiancé made, right. you know, tweeted... Basically call me an Uncle Tom. Yeah, I mean, you know, is that is that evidence towards... Right, I mean, is Ray Lewis a... Uh, I guess he kind of is like an agent of the Baltimore Ravens. I don't know that he fits the legal definition of agent, but no. he presents himself that way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I guess you've got people like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady saying they think he deserves a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly that hasn't had an influence on... Especially the Packers, who actually need a new quarterback mm-hmm. since Mr. Rodgers... Snapped very unfortunately <laughs> knocked out for a long time. Um, well, I, but I was thinking not even just players necessarily, but former players who have now found their way into an organization sure. either as like a coach of you know a line coach or whatever yeah. who are now talking to their friends who used to be a you know a coworker slash player and is you know in a different organization and they're just talking like casually amongst themselves. Um, but I guess it does like extend to the amount of influence these individuals can have. But the way that the Article 17 is written, it doesn't seem to really matter that they can influence personnel decisions. It's just people in these clubs. Right. I guess it comes down to, so the, it's prohibited to make an agreement to restrict or limit club decision making. So it, the question then becomes, I think, like, what do these people make decisions for the club? Um or yes, or if they can influence, they can dis- influence decision making. Yeah. So I think the one thing that um, I can understand, perhaps if Colin Kaepernick hasn't been signed because he's gone out and he's tried out and he's like totally flubbed, you know, whatever workout he's had or, you know, it's not coming across in a way that um, for, you know, during interviews or whatever. But it seems to me, according to the complaint or the demand for arbitration, that he hasn't even gotten a workout or an interview or talked to anybody in the league since, you know, since he opted out of his contract with the 49ers. Right. I I recall that he got some kind of at least had a conversation with the Seahawks who then signed somebody else. And I thought the excuse was that basically... Um, their system wasn't set up for a person like, for a player like Colin, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say a person, but a player of Colin Kaepernick's style, um, he wouldn't slot in there. Actually, and now that I'm saying all this, I think they also argued that he's like overqualified to be a backup, which just seemed very mm-hmm. convenient. Yeah. Um, but so. he's, I mean, he's better than, like, objectively his statistics show that he is a better player than... Yeah, some of the people who've been signed. Uh, Austin Davis is the person who was eventually signed with the Seahawks. Um, We're talking about people like Matt McGloin and um, TJ Yates and 
I mean, people actually haven't heard of David Fales. And, I mean, I've watched a fair amount of football in the last 10 years, so it's not like... I'd like say, Bortles, yeah, right? Yeah, like Bortles. <laughs> oh, Brian Hoyer, like the man who can't throw more than three yards at a time. And, you know, no disrespect to any of these players who I know have worked very hard to get where they are and all of those things, but if you're looking at straight, like... Um, metrics of performance, I think people would be able to say that Colin Kaepernick has had better years than some of these individuals. I mean, Mark Sanchez of the butt fumble, come on, he has a job. Yeah, I mean, now, right, like the Blake Bortles and Mark Sanchez of the world are better football players than like 95% of (laughs) football players, Um, but, you know, Colin Kaepernick is maybe 96% or better than 96%. Yeah. Um, There's no, it certainly doesn't seem like there's a rational reason for him to not be playing, except that there's a decision that's been made amongst all of these teams not to Mm -hmm. sign him. And I find it really hard to believe that 32 teams came up to came to this independent decision. Yeah. um, Especially when there are some that clearly need quarterback help. I think, um, I think that the, I think that the timing is interesting. Um, So Colin Kaepernick has said in other interviews prior to um, this demand for arbitration that he would stand for the anthem, that he does not want to be a distraction in the locker room, that he is very interested in coming and playing and being a good team member. Um, And that, I mean, those were the things that he said on the record. And it wasn't until, what, three weeks ago when this Trump NFL... Um, right. Quagmire came to be. So, I mean, like, he hadn't been hired for several months before mm-hmm. this, and I think it's, it's gotten worse, uh, mostly because he, you know, President Trump basically called him out by name and pinpointed him as the sole cause of the protests that take place during the national anthem. Um, yeah, I just... So... I don't know. It's I forgot where I was going with my point about timing. But well that it seems like I I I wonder if now is the time where they think there's been communication between the league and the teams although about keeping him out I except don't think so why because they haven't signed him so why mm-hmm. would anybody want to start talking about him in particular now. Yeah, and there have been so many people who have started to kneel during the anthem since the beginning of this season. Right. So it's not like he would be the only one doing it. Um, So, I don't know, maybe he had just had enough and he just thought that, like, no one is calling me and I've made it abundantly clear that I'm interested, so this is really my last resort. Um, And maybe it's seeing that, you know, there are teams that you know, sort of obviously have bad quarterbacks by NFL standards playing for them, Mm -hmm. and it's become seemingly obvious that something else has to be going on here. It can't just be that he's not good enough to play. Yeah, so Um, Mike McCarthy, um, he was the one who's probably been in the media the most recently because of the Aaron Rodgers snapped collarbone from Sunday, um, who basically sort of um, had a snapped at a reporter for asking about Colin Kaepernick and he said that the Packers have spent three years developing is it Brett Hundley? I believe so. And then uh, so he's been on the team for three years as Aaron Rodgers' backup and then 
their second string, their third string, now second string uh, backup, he said that they've spent two years developing him um, to be a quarterback. So that's why they're not interested in Colin Kaepernick. And I think that, I mean, that's reasonable. Obviously, Brett Hundley's been around for three years and yeah. knows whatever systems and knows the plays and knows the personnel. But I, I don't understand why you wouldn't have, you wouldn't want to have as insurance someone who obviously knows how to play like professional football. Right. right. Yeah, that's yeah. certainly. So anyways. seems a good question. Uh, so that's all I have on Colin Kaepernick. Um, I guess are there, I'm just flipping through, trying to quickly look through the um, CBA to see what the timelines oh. around this arbitration So it's is. basically the Stephen Burbank is going to do the call oh, okay. to set up sort of their parameters um, and probably the timing of things. Yeah. Um, so we'll keep an eye out for that decision and we'll keep everybody updated on, um, what happens with, with this arbitration. The arbitration provision does say that the, uh, enforcement proceeding may be commenced upon 72 hours written notice and the whole, um, matter will be, um, heard and determined in an expedited manner. Although I feel like I've dealt with contracts that also say the same thing and expedited does not mean... <laughs> to lawyers and arbitrators what expedited means <laughs> to the rest of the world so um so this might take a while yeah well and especially if garagos wants to do the discovery and get his hands on All emails and emails. texts and letters or whatever else I, that he can get his hands on and i mean sorry i thought we were supposed to be done with this <laughs> um the thing that i would think i'd be worried about is i mean setting aside hopefully or not hopefully people aren't stupid enough to write down like we should all just not <laughs> sign Colin Kaepernick. Let's all agree to do this. But just, I don't know, think about having all of your emails put on blast. And oh, yeah. it, particularly if you use your personal email for work purposes, mm -hmm. it's just, it's ugly. This is... Yeah. It is. Yeah. People live in fear. So... Um, <laughs> you should live in fear. You should live in fear. Yeah. Don't write anything down. <laughs> Pretty much sure. The, uh, that's not legal advice. No. Again, that's life advice. Life advice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that could be the other thing to come out of this is just like lots of embarrassing emails mm -hmm. between um, yeah. club employees. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, to see what <laughs> dummy Roger Goodell put in writing. Um, so, I guess we could just probably talk a little bit about that. Um, leading into our next uh next story or the next thing we want to talk about which is that um the local 100 uh union who represents employees in texas and i think like louisiana and somewhere like in the southeast in arkansas, in arkansas yes. they filed an unfair practice charge unfair labor practice charge with the national labor relations board uh they <laughs> Uh, so people have asked a couple of times, have asked me, like, well, you know, the players are obviously represented by the NFLPA, and no one in Local 100 represents any of the players right. of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, so how can they file a charge? And actually, you can, like, you can file a charge on behalf of anyone, so that's that was the weird thing. Thing that I think that most people don't quite realize is that you don't necessarily have to re represent the employees on behalf of whom you're filing a charge. But this all stems from 
um, a statement that Jerry Jones made a couple of weeks ago who basically said that he was not going to play anyone who didn't stand for the anthem. And then, uh, so people found that like his statement was actually threatening in, you know, saying that he would cut players who weren't going to stand during the anthem. And this charge was filed, I think, like shortly thereafter. Um, it was filed on... Um Sorry, I'm looking for the, the date in this article. The article does not refer to a particular date. It just says this Tuesday. Yeah. So I, I think it was filed earlier this week. Yeah, I saw the charge itself. It was, um, it was literally handwritten onto the form. But Which is not totally atypical. No, not, for, not in our line of work anyways. Yeah. It is not. Um, so a couple of things that come up in a discussion of this is whether or not... Um, you know, this charge has any legs and things like that. Very, very quickly, what happens under the NLRB, who's the federal agency charged with enforcing uh, labor relations between private sector employers and private sector employees, uh, both unionized and non-unionized. But um, what happens is a charge is filed and then it falls to a board agent at the NLRB to do an investigation of the charges this investigation comprises of reviewing documents and interviewing people on both sides and trying to see if a prima facie showing can be made. Um, and if so, then the board agent recommends to basically the boss in the office, and this is in, um, I forgot what office this is in. Fort Worth. Fort Worth. Uh, the boss of the Fort Worth office, uh, region whatever, uh, whether or not they would want to move forward and litigate this case. So the case is actually brought by the NLRB against the uh, Dallas Cowboys if it were to get to that point. And I think the other thing aside from like, well, why is this union filing on behalf of the Cowboys players? The other question that um, I've talked to my colleagues about is really whether or not um, this charges any like legs to it. So, I mean, I know the the allegation is basically that the cowboys are uh, violating labor law by uh, potentially well retaliating against employees who engage in concerted protected activity and they are saying that kneeling during the anthem is concerted protected activity which um, normally concerted protected activity is really related to working conditions right so yes so most often like when we see this in our line of work it's people who might get on social media and complain about how their boss is treating them or the fact that you know the company or the agency is closed between christmas and new years and they're not getting paid for that and but it's time off so it's really complaining for a lack of a better term about something that's happening about your work and the terms of your work as opposed to this issue which is you're engaged in concerted protected social activity it's not necessarily about like your the terms of your work it's really about making a statement about social injustice and systematic racism and police brutality and all of those things which your employer actually can't control right so um i guess the argument against their position would be that you are you do work for a private employer they're not bound necessarily by the first amendment mm -hmm. right to free speech 
right to freedom of expression. So from that perspective, it's not a violation of their constitutional rights. Mm -hmm. um, and if we tell you you have to be standing, it's the same as us telling you that you have to wear a particular uniform. Um, those are mm -hmm. just the... Or that your work hours are 8 to 5 or something. Yeah, we've got the right to do that as managers. Mm -hmm. um, so I think even the comments from the um, chief organizer for the union that filed the unfair practice charge, um, he doesn't seem to think this is going to go very far, but basically is viewing it as just a, a sort of a sign of protest and frustration that people like Jerry Jones think mm -hmm. they can threaten people's jobs based on um i mean he can because yeah. he's the owner of the team what i would i would love to see dak prescott and ezekiel elliott take a knee is he seriously going to yeah bench them bench i mean i don't know he's makes he prints money without the dallas cowboys winning anything so maybe he doesn't give a shit but um i think it would be interesting if some of these star players decided to test this yeah um yeah, it is. I mean, so the NFL's rule uh, related to... So the other way that it would possibly fall into the realm of actual mm -hmm. labor law is whether or not the NFL, by making players stand, is enforcing a rule that exists or is creating a new rule about this. And I believe um, after the last couple of days of media uh, coverage over the uh, meeting that's happened between like the owners, the league, and the players, I think there is a rule that says players should stand, but it doesn't require players to stand. Yeah. So if there is a change in work rules, then uh, yeah, then yes, then there would be some, you know, there would be some basis for which this charge has been filed. You know, you're changing a work rule that's a, that doesn't actually require us to stand if you're going to require us to stand. But um, Roger Goodell has come out and made it very clear that while he would like players to stand, players are not required to stand. Um, and what's interesting is that on the sort of flip side of this, the NBA does have a rule that mm -hmm. says the players have to stand during the anthem. They um, apparently sent out a communication to clubs before the start of the season, reiterating that rule mm -hmm. and their expectation. Which is kind of interesting because I thought Adam Silver had been pretty, who's the commissioner of the NBA, um, had been pretty supportive, um, at least up until then, of you know the players and um, particularly when President, the president, I'm not going to say his name because <laughs> it makes me sick, uh, came after um, Steph Curry and the Warriors. Um, so I guess I, I thought that was interesting that he was kind of reasserting this particular rule. Um, I was reading, I didn't watch the game, but I'm told last night um, at the Cavs-Celtics game, the whole Cavs team linked arms during the anthem. Um, the Celtics didn't make any um, sort of obvious mm -hmm. statement um, during, the, during the anthem, but... Um, yeah, people um, have perceived that as a form of protest. Um, and Steph Curry, before the Warriors uh, Rockets game, basically came out to say that they were not going to uh, make any sort of showing of either solidarity or protest because they feel that they have been very clear on the record their feelings about these things. So yeah. that it's not necessarily it's not necessary for them to continue that because it's not like any of them have shied away from talking about it. So yeah. um, that was their position. Um, so I think like so again I don't know that this uh, unfair labor practice charge will get very far, 
but you know it's out there and um, I think that it's it's interesting it's yet another way to um, you know raise attention to this issue which I, I don't know it seems like it's getting a lot of attention anyway so that it does um, so Continuing on with our discussion of the Dallas Cowboys, um, Ezekiel Elliott is back in the news um, where a judge in the uh, Southern District of New York, a uh, federal court judge, has um, reinstated a temporary restraining order blocking the NFL from enforcing its six-game suspension against him for um, allegations of domestic abuse. There's sort of a, a little bit of a convoluted procedural history on this. Um, before the NFL appeal process, so basically, um, Elliot was being investigated by the NFL based on these domestic abuse allegations. That took like a year. Um, before the NFL issued its, NFL issued a, a decision suspending him for six games, he appealed. Before that appeal was finalized, or, or there was a decision issued on the appeal. By the arbitrator? By the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, I think, wouldn't it just be by, what's his face, Goodell? No, because it went to an arbitrator who didn't issue a decision yet, and, like, he said that he was going to uphold the suspension, but and he hadn't, hadn't issued, issued a decision, decision and the basis for it. That's when it got appealed to the district court, right? Is that where you were in the story? Yes. Okay, So, sorry. before the written decision came yes. out... <laughs> Elliot filed for a temporary restraining order or TRO um, in the Northern District of Texas, which is based out of, I think it's Fort Worth, might be Dallas. They may have courthouses both places. Um, but that's where he, he sought relief to try and block the suspension. Um, I believe that district court judge in issued a TRO. Mm -hmm. But then the NFL appealed it to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, um, arguing, among other things, that it was a premature decision. Um, I think they also argued that the Texas court didn't have jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, in a two-to-one decision, revoked the TRO mm -hmm. um, and was going to allow um, the, the the suspension to be enforced. That happened last Thursday. <laughs> then um, Elliot went and refiled now that the decision has been issued and basically the basis for the um fifth circuit's decision was that elliot's tro application was filed prematurely because the decision had not been formally issued yet elliot's team refiles for a tro in the southern district of new york so they get away from the jurisdiction problem mm -hmm. um and their judge paul crotty issued a TRO blocking the suspension um, that happened yesterday. Yes. Um, and that TRO will stay in place until either um, October 30th or when Judge Catherine Polk Fela returns. Now, yes, does she, is she kind of the judge designated to deal with NFL issues that come up in the Southern District? I don't know if she's the judge who's designated to deal with the issues, but I would imagine that she was probably the judge that was assigned whenever the, or maybe she does do restraining orders. Um, so for whatever reason, that judge is not available. So Judge Crotty had to deal with this. He was um, a, he's a visiting judge. 
visit, or he was visiting mm -hmm. for, for the purposes of weighing in on this decision. Um, and the TRO can't be appealed, so the um, NFL doesn't have the ability to appeal it up to the Second Circuit um, to try and get it knocked out before it would otherwise expire. Um, so... Zeke is going to play on Sunday is the big takeaway from this. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just a really complicated procedural yeah, it really situation. It really is. Um, but, I mean, so, so basically Judge Crotty said that um, he was inclined to defer to Fala because she was more familiar with the case. So, yeah, I don't know if it's been in her courtroom previously, um, but it's just strange. So she will actually make a determination on the merits, um, cause you can issue a temporary restraining order and then set a hearing for later on to actually discuss the, like the real, not the real merits, but like the crux of the issue as opposed to something that is like sort of a quick and dirty, like a TRO. It's just like, there's likelihood of harm as opposed to getting to the actual like nitty gritty of the arguments and the law. Right. Yeah. And TROs are typically issued where it's the harm is so imminent that um, you just you don't have time to get to sort of the merits of the case. You just need to put everything in a holding pattern until, you know, a week or 10 days later is typically mm -hmm. how long it takes to get back to court um, where you can make an argument on the actual merits of the um, injunction. Mm -hmm. And then a preliminary injunction can be issued, which typically stays in place until the end of the matter. So here, I guess it would be if Judge Fela decides to issue a, temp uh, a preliminary injunction, it would stay in place until she makes a decision on the merits of whether the suspension should stand. Um, so then the NFL wouldn't be able to enforce the suspension until that decision is issued. She's on vacation right now. Wow, it's really an efficient <laughs> way for our courts to run that you just have to stop things until a judge comes back. Uh, okay. Yes, yeah, so I mean, I think that Crotty probably could have um, actually made a decision that was more on the merits, but since, uh, according to the article that I read, since she's more familiar with the um, the facts of the case and is more familiar in general uh, that he was just going to defer to, uh, to this matter until she returned. Um, sort of one note on the uh, unfair practice charge uh, related to the Dallas Cowboys. I think that if um, players wanted to argue that they were actually kneeling during the anthem in solidarity with the fact that Colin Kaepernick did not have a job. That could possibly be a working condition, but since it seems like people have been very upfront about why they're kneeling, that it, it would seem like it's, um, you know, um, they've been on the record as to why. Uh, it, it, it's not because of the collusion, it's because of all the things that we've discussed. <laughs> right. Now, I guess if more people started kneeling yes. and said this is mm -hmm. because we believe in Kaepernick's assertion that he's being ganged up on by the owners, I guess that could change the character of the protest, but it would be too late for this particular yes. unfair practice charge. You'd have to refile it. Yeah. Um, so those are our big NFL stories for the week. Um, I don't know. Did you have anything else on those matters? No, I think that's about it. Yeah. I'm feeling very low energy today. Are you? Kind of. It's yeah. probably because we had French fries at lunch. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, possibly. We're taping this on a Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> After lunch. Um, so, 
We are going to slide into our three minute warning where we have some updates for uh, some of the things that we've been discussing and a new matter. Um, yeah, so I guess uh, in keeping with the NFL theme, um, Aaron Hernandez, uh, the, the complaint has finally been made public um, that uh, was filed on behalf of his daughter as his survivor um, against the NFL and I think the Patriots. Um, and the company that makes helmets. Oh. Is it Riddle? Riddell? It's R-I-D-D-E-L-L? Yeah, I yeah. think it's, I think it's Riddell. Riddell, yeah. In my old life as a bankruptcy attorney, um, I worked for a company that was a competitor of mm. Riddell. They, they went bankrupt. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say. Riddell seems to have cornered the market on uh, football helmets. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, the, the complaint um, consistently referred to Aaron Hernandez wallowing in a quote-unquote horrendous existence um, that was brought on by head trauma he had suffered while playing football before he killed himself mm -hmm. in prison. Um, so the lawsuit, and we should probably look into this at some point, um, had initially been filed in the Eastern District of Massachusetts based out of Boston. Um, it was subsequently refiled in Norfolk Superior Court, which is the, um, I believe that's the county the county that Foxborough sits in, as far as I'm aware, oh. um, maybe I don't, not sure it's the county where um, his home was located. But anyway, that's my minimal knowledge of <laughs> using my Massachusetts geographic knowledge. But anyway, it's been filed, refiled in state court. I'm not sure why it got bounced out of federal federal court because I would have mm -hmm. thought they'd be able to get in on a diversity of jurisdiction. Yeah. I don't know where Rydell is located. And obviously the league is... The league is headquartered in New, New York. York. Yeah. So, um, and they're certainly looking for more than $75,000 in damages, mm -hmm. um, which I think is still the... It is. Limit. It's, yeah. Uh, sorry, we're getting into real nitty-gritty procedural <laughs> issues this week. Um, but long story short, for those of you who don't actually want to know all the details on diversity of jurisdiction, that's a way that you can get uh, what are basically state law claims that usually have to be dealt with in state courts into a federal court. Um, and a lot of times people view federal courts as sort of more favorable, um, depending on the type of lawsuit you're dealing with. And in some places, the trigger to get you into a federal court is that you've got uh, parties that exist or are located in various jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can drag them into federal court under that theory. Yeah, and the minimum amount in controversy has to be $75,000 in order to uh, make that diversity uh, jurisdiction claim met or standard met, excuse yeah. me. Yeah, so I don't know. That is interesting why they refiled it in um, state court. But uh, the complaint itself is 86 pages long. Um, and because we did have french fries at lunch, we did not want to try to read that before uh, doing this podcast because we no. certainly would have been asleep. Um, so we will probably have an update for you the next time we talk, or maybe we'll do a special Podfather <laughs> uh, podcast, as we're now calling him. Um, and Rydell is based in Illinois, oh, so, okay. yeah. Um, so yeah, from that perspective, it seems like they should have been able to stay in federal court. We'll look mm -hmm. into it and get back to you. Um, so then the um, other item that we wanted to provide an update on is that the Polish, they were not a death metal band. What, what? Did I call them like a technical band, metal band? I remember I had a there was a particular name for them the last time we talked about Decapitated. Yeah. But um, in any event, the members of the Polish uh, 
death metal band decapitated have been um, were extradited to Washington State and they have been charged with uh, kidnapping and rape. So all four members of the band have been formally charged with some degree of rape. Um, and so it is technical death metal technical death metal carry on <laughs> yes so uh just so the charges have been filed um and as many people who listen to this podcast probably know that you can't just hold people in jail forever without actually charging them with a crime um so i think this was partially in response to wanting the process to move forward so they had to be formally charged with crimes um, in order to continue holding them in Spokane. And I think it's the band that is arguing that this is this whole thing is just kind of like ginned up to keep them in jail, mm-hmm. um, that they um, would be forced to release the band if they didn't come up with something to charge them with, um, which I, may be true, but typically you're not going to file charges, and they certainly, like a judge isn't going to sustain them mm-hmm. and demand bail if you don't have some yeah. kind of proof that uh, would support the charges. You're not going to get a prosecutor behind you either. I no. mean, like, the prosecutor doesn't want to lose. Like, no. Right? <laughs> they don't Look at to... Cy Vance. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> We're not talking about Harvey Weinstein this week because it's just too much. <laughs> it we is just couldn't too much. do it. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, uh, he, although, was he, had he been fired? I think he's now resigned from the board of the Weinstein Company. Sounds like he's not going to fight them on that. I think he. I think he resigned. No, I think he might have resigned the day that we did this. Perhaps. All right. Well, that's the only update we have the energy to provide on that particular topic this week. But we may revisit it. Yes. Later. (laughs) Um, Last. Well, not lastly, but the last uh, update that we have is Rick Pitino. the paragon of moral virtue and just integrity has filed a lawsuit against Adidas for emotional distress. But in Kentucky, it is called the tort of outrage. He is claiming that Adidas specifically has harmed him um, by basically damaging his reputation because having a reputation for following NCAA rules is so important to his job. That he's never done it before. (laughs) That um, the fact that like Adidas went behind his back and engaged in this conduct that would cause the University of Louisville to violate NCAA rec- or, uh, rules um, has just caused him significant emotional distress. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm reading the complaint now. It's ridiculous. They use the term outrageously twice in the first two sentences of the document. Um, He's uh, out. They out. Adidas outrageously conspired to funnel money to the family of a recruit of the University of Louisville's men's basketball team. You can't have a conspiracy of one, first of all. So mm-hmm. I don't. That was a foolish structure of that sentence. <laughs> so the disclosure of Adidas's actions and those of its employees, I'm reading from paragraph 33 of the complaint, has in fact seriously damaged Coach Patina's reputation for honesty and integrity. In the weeks since Adidas' actions and those of its employees has become public, Coach Patino has been vilified, ridiculed, and criticized in the local and national media, on social media, and in private and public communications. And it's been difficult and painful for Coach Patino and his family to appear in public anywhere. Oh my god, I just want to gag. <laughs> like, I just, well, I, I think 
My favorite part is probably that um, the assertion, and I'm quoting from the complaint right now, um, that this lawsuit is about more than just money. It is Coach Patino's vehicle for proving that he had nothing to do with Adidas's outrageous, wrongful, and illegal conspiracy. Again, who did they conspire with? <laughs> Coach Patino. Um, but also, give me a fucking break. Uh, like, Rick Patino, I mean, he just looks like a scumbag to begin with. He has been in trouble and had allegations flying around him since Literally the 70s, in, yes, right? Like, he got into coaching. So, I mean, this is, I am really excited to see Adidas's response because I feel like this could be the um, sporting equivalent to the uh, Bob Murray lawsuit that the ACLU <laughs> of West right. Virginia um, submitted an amicus brief in. That's right. Um, uh, eat shit, Bob. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was It's not illegal. Um, so, yeah, this if I were Adidas's attorneys, I would be having a super fun time with this. And it's just, there's something so... I, Usually, I guess this is more of an issue in, like, criminal um, uh, situations or, like, witness testimony where, like, normally you kind of don't look at people's past behavior as, you know, relevant to oh. claims that they're asserting in a particular mm -hmm. lawsuit. But it certainly feels like he has now brought his entire character oh, history um, into this suit. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, to be able to go back and detail all of the alleged wrongdoings that he has engaged in, even in just the past 15 years while he's been at Louisville, <laughs> let alone all of the nonsense he, um, you know, reportedly engaged in at his prior employers. Um, yeah, it would just be a blast. Um, so I would actually do that on a pro bono basis. I know. I'm, can we file amicus briefs as like <laughs> sports fans? <laughs> Uh, that would be kind of funny since neither you or I are, I mean, we're like general sports fans. We're not like sports fans of University of Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. Nor are we barred in Kentucky. That's so, true. Uh, but they filed in, in uh, federal court so we could probably get admitted for purposes <laughs> of submitting an amicus brief. Um, so, so since the last time we spoke, he actually has been fired. Yes. He has been officially fired. The yeah. question the university has asserted he's been fired for cause, so they don't have to pay him the $44 million remaining on his contract. Mm -hmm. um, he obviously takes a different view of things <laughs> and thinks that he is entitled to that money. Um, he, As far as I'm aware, he hasn't sued the university yeah. yet. Mm -hmm. I would expect that that is coming um, for wrongful termination, most likely which I would think would just be a ploy for him to try and get some money out of them. But yeah. maybe he can get a settlement. I don't know. Well, so I was wondering if the reason why he's suing Adidas is because, because he can't sue the because school. Because either he can't sue the school or it would look so bad for him to sue the school because the school is a public university. Right. I mean, they would be... I'm sure they have boosters who would pay because, I mean, I, a lot of the salaries of like, these really expensive coaches aren't necessarily budgeted positions within the university that are being paid out of general funds of the universities. Um, you know, it's a lot of booster money. So I don't know. I mean, I just thought it was such a weird thing, like Adidas of all, like, what about the guy who was on your staff who was doing the shit? Like, 
I don't know. It's not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. I had no idea that these horrible things were happening right below my very... Well, it's like, if that's the case, then you shouldn't be the, like, top-level manager. That's mm -hmm. a problem that you don't know that all of this... I mean, and it'd be one thing if it happened once. Yeah. I guess bad things can happen to everybody, but, mm -hmm. like, this is a consistent... This is a theme of Rick Patino's career. Yes. It's never his fault. It's always his underlings that are doing really awful, obvious inappropriate yeah. shit um, also it's interesting to note that um, the so back in um, August Tom Jurich who is the former Louisville athletic director mm -hmm. he's been he may still be on leave I feel like Patino has been the big name in all of this but um, he may the AD I'm not sure if he's been formally fired yet um, announced that the um, university had signed a partnership with Adidas oh, to the tune yeah. of $160 million over 10 years. It would kick, that deal is going to start in July of 2018. Um, mm -hmm. Apparently, 98% of that money goes to Rick Pitino. Yeah. Was it Rick Pitino or the basketball program? Um, no. It's to him personally. Well, maybe not the full 98%. So, in 2015... Um, I'm sorry, to take a step back, it is the current deal with Adidas where 98% of the money goes, goes to Patino. Okay. Um, so like in 2015-16, $1.5 million went to Patino mm. under his personal services agreement with the apparel company, while just $25,000 went to the athletic program. The year before, Patino got one point, another $1.5 million, the department only got $10,000. Um, yeah. And the money that Adidas pays to the university um, has deducted from it money they pay to University of Louisville coaches under their personal service agreements with Adidas. We have breaking news on the podcast, but Tom Urich was um, fired about 40 minutes ago. Oh, boy. Yeah. For cause. With cause. Sure. I yeah. mean... It would seem like that would be even more clear if the reason they're firing him is because he refused to fire Patino at the or, direction of the Or board. discipline him yeah. or do anything to monitor him or, yeah. Uh, uh -huh. uh, I love it when we can break news on our podcast. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, apparently, Tom Urich makes more than twice as much money as the second highest paid athletic director in the country. He made more than $5 million wow. in taxable income last year. Um that but Kentucky state records have him making just over half a million dollars a year. Um, although a university spokesperson said that his base pay is actually $1.3 million. So, A, get your record keeping together, <laughs> state of Kentucky, University of Louisville. B, how is it that a employee of a public university is making $5.3 million a year? Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Um, and... <coughs> I feel like Rick Pitino has extracted enough money from Adidas. He should just let this go. Yes. But I don't think but that's he's his outraged. nature. He's, <laughs> he's outraged. He's outraged. So outraged. He he's, needs to find a new word for how outraged he is. He's being ridiculed, Burke. Ridiculed. I mean, oh. I've been ridiculing him since I was a child. <laughs> so I hope he doesn't hear this and try and sue us. Well, he might because, you know, he specifically called out public and private conversations. <laughs> like... Really, how would he know that people are having private conversations about what a terrible... Is he eavesdropping? I know. I don't know. This is very interesting. Uh, 
Rick Pitino, Rick Pitino. <laughs> um, so that's that story. <laughs> um, I guess we will uh, see where this goes, um, and we'll keep a very close eye out on Adidas's response to this complaint, because I hope it's awesome. <laughs> they, they have a real opportunity here, so don't yeah. don't mess this up, Adidas. <laughs> Um, so I'll let you take the last story since sure. you're the one who sent it to me this morning. So um, very briefly, Frank Ocean um, of Forrest Gump fame. That's actually not the only reason he's famous, <laughs> um, and it's not about the movie. Look it up. Um, he uh, won a libel lawsuit that had been filed against him by his father, Calvin Cooksey. Um, the lawsuit was seeking almost $15 million in damages um, because... Uh, he claimed that he lost financial opportunities after Frank Ocean disclosed that his father used homophobic slurs in a um, 2016 Tumblr post. But the incident referred to in this Tumblr post happened when Frank Ocean was six years old. So at least 20 years ago? Yes. yes. <laughs> I think Frank Ocean's in his late 20s. Okay. Um, right. Now, I guess the idea would be that it didn't go public until, until 2016. 2016, and that's why his father got harmed. I don't know what his father's artistic talents are. That's what are. I was just going to ask you. Like, um, what, what, what is he losing? Which may be why he lost. <laughs> um, so the, the judge ruled that... Um, Ocean's statements didn't definitively prove that his father was a bigot and also ruled the father had failed to meet the necessary elements to make a defamation claim. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's, it seems kind of sad also. Don't be a bigot and people won't talk about it in public. And um, Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's one life lesson. But like, <laughs> secondly, you really shouldn't sue your kid if you ever want to have a, like, a decent relationship with your child. Not for $15 million. Um, Frank Ocean's dad also sued Russell Simmons in 2014. Oh. Yeah, so he might have a history of going around and suing people. I just Googled Calvin Cooksey, and the only things that are coming up are related to his filing lawsuits, as opposed to what he's actually does in life that would, you know, where this Tumblr post would have damaged his, like, professional, hmm. um, his ability to earn money. Like, that's just really strange. Um, I mean, looking at the... Um The Tumblr post itself, basically Frank Ocean refers to an incident where um, he and his dad were being served by a transgender waitress and his father used a um, slur to refer to gay people um, and then dragged his son out of the diner. Mm -hmm. um, now, according to the judge, apparently that doesn't uh, definitively prove that his father's a bigot. I'm not sure how to feel about that really but i mean i guess it's good that it knocked out the this seemingly specious lawsuit mm -hmm. um so yeah well the if if anyone has the time and the wherewithal to read um cooksey's complaint that was he filed against frank ocean it's kind of unhinged i mean he goes into a lot of detail about how his son is a hypocrite because of his affiliation with um, an individual by the name of Tyler the God, the creator, not Tyler the God, um, who has uh, lyrics that are like homophobic and misogynistic. Um, 
So it's it's quite an interesting read. But he, uh, Calvin Cooksey sued Russell Simmons because Russell Simmons called him a deadbeat dad, and so Cooksey sued him for $142 million in damages. So... Um, and I was just about to say something else about Frank Ocean. Um, oh, according to the Tumblr post, that day in the diner was the last time he saw his father. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, which is wild. Um, so. It, yeah. It's. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Um, it seems like this is, he's has a tough family situation. So hopefully this will at least give him, um, a little bit of peace. Although I suppose his father could appeal and then this whole thing would go on and on and on. Um, again, on a procedural note, apparently after, um, Frank Ocean filed, um, or his attorneys filed a response to, um, his father's lawsuit they asserted 17 affirmative defenses um, explaining why the case should be dismissed and the judge found that a lot of the responses were completely devoid of any factual support and then threatened sanctions because oh. normally you have to mm -hmm. you can't just make like kind of conclusory statements in your legal filings you actually have to have evidence to support mm -hmm. them um, I have not read Frank Ocean's response um, but certainly problematic if he yeah. doesn't have it although I, I don't even know what facts you would i guess we need to find more information that supports the idea that his father was a bigot i yeah yeah i don't know <laughs> which we're not saying you are calvin cooksey please don't file a lawsuit against us but it's entirely possible that um, he would yeah just, he just seems like the kind of person who has lots of axes to grind uh, um. yes indeed so that's us this week. Very low-key of us. We will try to be more energetic the next time. Yes. Um, um, we won't eat fries before we do our podcast. No. And in the meantime, if you want to um, send us any questions or comments um, or just tell us to look alive, um, <laughs> you can reach us through social media at... Um, ufr underscore bg on twitter and instagram um you can also reach us by email at um, underfurtherreview.bg at gmail.com or um you can check out our website underfurtherreview-bg.com um so thanks so much for tuning in uh, also please feel free to rate and review us on itunes we are told by um, some of our listeners that they've been having some trouble with the um, iTunes rating system, but please keep at it. We do appreciate your thoughts. Um, and uh, yeah, otherwise, thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.